What is up, designers? And welcome back to the Grand Design Podcast. Um, this episode is an episode really about possibility, you know, and how powerful is the demonstration of possibility. And this tangent came about for me um, through a simple question that I had in my mind that was answered from a video that I was watching. And that question was, uh, which might be the actual, actually be like the preface for this entire video, although it has nothing to do with race, was what did Obama do for black people? You know, in order to make what I'm about to say next make a little more sense, I want to rewind a little bit. I remember, man, so many years have passed. It's impossible to really tell what month it was. But I remember um, when my brother, I have uh, four other brothers, so it's five of us in total. Uh, So the brother that's, I'm the middle child, so the brother that's older than me, but not the oldest. His name is Taz. Um, And I remember going to, this was the first and last, you know, track meet that we had gone to of his. But it was an experience that I'll never forget for a lot of reasons. You know, but one of my reasons really came down to pure speed. I remember, like I said, it's impossible to tell what season, what month all these events happened, you know, during because memory isn't perfect. But I remember it was like a, like a, like a, you know, partially cloudy day. You know, I remember, you know, it was, it was warm outside, like, like summer was, or spring was just blown, blown through. And, uh, it wasn't like a crazy packed event. It was like a, like a, like a home, like a homey, homey, what it was, homely type event. You know, they had these little, it was, it was, it was occurring on the, you know, the track. It was a little red track with a little grass patch in the middle, right outside of the high school, the high school that, you know, was our zone school, Parkville. And uh, they had these little aluminum bleachers on the side. It was probably uh, about six bleachers lined up on the side of the track. And, you know, there was people scattered amongst the bleachers, but it was definitely space on the bleachers. Um, I don't even remember which teams were there. But I remember the uniqueness of this event. You know, uh, I don't know. You know, at this point in time, I'm sure I I I had already done, completed my first season of wrestling, probably it was, or maybe even my second season. But I remember feeling like a different type of intensity and in, 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 uh, tension to this event than anything I had ever felt. You know, um, I felt, you know, even though I hadn't contacted my brother on an event, like he had something to prove. Even the, like the whole air of his demeanor when he was on a track, I guess he got wind of us coming or uh, coming around. Uh, it was different, you know, than something I had ever seen. I'd never seen him in that mode before. Um, to make a long story short, you know, I remember because he was the MVP of his uh his track team, team captain for multiple years, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time. But I remember, you know, everybody first event track event I even saw lining up on the track there. You know, they had the little five lanes or four lanes, whatever it is. And I remember seeing it, and I'm like, you know, when you don't observe uh, a sibling in their ability. Uh, it's kind of hard to fathom them doing it at a high level. So I was, I was curious 
it was like that that first situation where I took a plane and the plane actually got off the ground. I'm curious as to what's going to happen. They're all lining up on the line. I believe he might have been in the first lane or something like that. But, you know, the crowd is quiet. Everybody's waiting for the event to start. And the the guy, you know, the referee, whatever you want to call him, I don't know what you call him. He raises the little pistol up in the air and he shoots it. Bang. And I remember they just take off. Boom. But slowly but surely, my brother's breaking away from the pack. And I'm watching this event in bewilderment. Like, you know, is this something that you've, like, are you really, have you really paid that much attention to this sport? Have you really paid that much practice and passion? Have you poured that much time into this sport? You know, it was almost like for the rest of the crowd, the gun had sanded off 10, 20 years too late. And he was already having a wife and children in a career before they even, you know, heard the crack. You know, you hear the, you know, the gun go off, he halfway around the track. I didn't even think a human being could run that fast. It wasn't even possible. He halfway around the track by the time they even start. They moving like turtles. Just like the tortoise and the hare. But like the hare got the same stamina as the tortoise. And he never take a nap. He never stopped. You know what I mean? So he's way around the track. He's running. He's running. He's running. And he finishes the race. It's not even close. I remember everybody on that bleacher, man, just going wild. Just going crazy like. Like what did we just witness? You know that 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 it was insane. It was it was incredible for lack of a, you know of a better word. Um. It was it was wild, and um. You might be wondering like what does that have to do with, you know, setting examples. In order to increase the limitation of human potential or erase the limitation of human potential. Well. That event led to me, you know, just recently, really, in reflecting on that through this little tangent I'm going down, asking them, how fast did you run in high school? And we talked about that a lot. And in order to understand how fast he's running in high school, I really want to put context to the situation even further. So I was opening the book, uh, which is like, uh, like our, like scripture or whatever for this movement, you know, getting your ideas into the world and rumble mass movements is the Expert Secrets book by Russell Brunson. You should pick it up. It's a great book. Um, and I was reading through some of the chapters and there was one, uh, this one chapter called The Attractive Character. And one of the features of The Attractive Character was that they helped people break their four, four minute mile. And so I believe it was uh, Alfred Bannister or something like that. I just read it. I literally just looked it up in like May 9th of 1954. He was the first human being to ever break the four-minute mile, right? Before that, everybody was like, man, it was a spectacle. It was like, is this within the possibility of human potential? And he went and he broke the four-minute mile. And a funny thing happened during that day. It was almost like something, as the Twitter folks say, something shifted. You know, something in reality was forever different because of it. Um, Because since then, multiple people thousands have been able to replicate the act to the point so much so where high school kids are you know routinely running faster than a four minute mile and probably running faster than Alfred Bannister ever would have wished to run in his life they probably would make him look like my brother made those other guys on the track 
And you know what? To be honest, at this point in time, I probably would too. But that's neither here nor there. So my brother never had broken a four-minute mile. But he came pretty close. I believe he ran a 4.38 is uh, what I had gathered from our conversations. That's pretty fast. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is this. Notice where someone might think something's impossible. That limitation is a reality. And when Alfred Bannister broke that four-minute mile, suddenly that reality of, of the matter or the impossibility, the limitation of the matter had melted down. And suddenly kids who were in middle school are able to do it. I mean, I should look it up. Who's who the youngest person to ever run a four-minute mile? People are breaking this record routinely every single day without really even breaking a sweat. You know, people run hundreds of miles. People run 100-mile competitions, you know. And all of this occurred, and all of this, you know, came into fruition on the basis of belief. You know, going further in some, into that chapter I read, uh, along the tangent of belief, you know, Russell Brunson, uh, further in the chapter, he explains, you know, his, you know, the moment he uh, experienced his quote-unquote four-minute mile being broken. In that moment for him, he was like watching like a seminar of John Reese, and John Reese uh, sent him, no, he was not watching a seminar, he was attending family brunch or something like that whatever the folks out in idaho do it was all potatoes anyway but you know they call it brunch even though they eat that for breakfast lunch and dinner and in the midst of midnight stack whatever i'm not even sure they have a variance of potatoes out there i like red potatoes i like mashed potatoes they probably eat potatoes raw but like i said it's neither here nor there he was out like at a family gathering like in utah salt lake city or something like that i'm botching the story i know and john reese had sent him an email of the million dollar day, like, you know, you know, which was respectable back then. He might, I think, he might have been the first person to ever do it. Uh, sends him an email saying, "Yo, Russell, you're on my list. Guess what? We made a million dollars in 18 hours." And Russell Brunson, you know, whereas he never thought something like that was possible, his whole ideology, you know, his whole, the limitation that he applied to himself that day was broken and shifted forever. And so that year, he tried to make a million dollars, but you know, we all suck when we start out. And so he didn't, he wasn't able to do that. The following year, I think he made a million dollars in a calendar year. And uh, you fast forward, I think, three years later, then he finally had his million dollar day. Uh, funny enough, you know, whereas this is, you know, his four minute, you know, his four minute mile, his four minute milestone was something that was very impossible for John Reese to, you know, to, to do. You know, he set that same four minute mile for or something similar to the people within his community. And where it was such a struggle for the forerunners of the act, you know, I think they have like 790 people who have made a million and even more, even a little bit less, but still a considerable amount of people who have made 10 million people in a funnel and have received rewards for a similar act. You know, in fact, one of the people that he worked with for a long time, Stephen Larson, I was watching his video the other day, he was explaining the, the, the fallout that happened well, the day after his first million dollar day, you can look it up on YouTube. It's like the day after the million dollar day or something like that. Um, he made a million dollars in a day and, you know, they got audited and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, it was pretty good. It was, it was cool. You know, uh, it was like, uh, you know, they just checked this company out a lot. Um, but the point I'm trying to illustrate here is that, you know, when you break that four minute milestone, the beliefs within the culture and society that witness that, that follow you, that love you, they are shifted forever. And suddenly that act becomes something that is replicable. 
it becomes something that's attainable. You know, I want to tell a little bit about my own personal story in terms of my mini four minute, you know, four minute mile. Uh, I remember, you know, uh, it had to be a few months ago, maybe November or something like that. You know, before we were set to leave to California, I was making a bunch of frantic calls, you know, uh, or having people sending out a bunch of frantic pitches because I'm a, I'm a writer. That's what I do. Just trying to get somebody in line to, to buy from me. And I remember the first person that picked up was a guy named John from Florida. And whereas I heard all these stories and these things of people making a lot of money on the Internet, I never really come face to face with that, you know, with somebody who actually did it. And I remember just being completely like, I don't know, like I wasn't really nervous to pick up the phone because I was that hungry. But at the same time, I was excited and like I was so curious um, I remember sending him a message over and he just sent me his number. He said, call me. And then before I could even, or he had said, what's your number? He just called me like a second later. And I remember being on the phone, like having my mind just like opened up and just like completely morphed by the conversation that was being had. You know, uh, I didn't really talk much in the conversation. I was really just going back and forth with him, just, just chatting it up because I didn't really know much about sales at that particular time. But uh, we were going back and forth, and he was just kind of talking me through, you know, what he wanted in a book, um, all these different things. But the conversation extended beyond that, and it extended to the fact of, you know, some of the work that he was doing within his own personal company. He was saying, oh, we work with billionaires and millionaires every single day, and he was saying he was making, like, I think it was like 1600 a day or something like that, or 16000 a day, a lot of freaking money. And uh, I don't remember what it was particularly about the way he was saying things or the way he was delivering it, but I felt it in my bones and in the stillness of his voice that something about it was undeniable and it was steel, it was concrete, it was true. And like I remember just being bewildered by the fact that, okay, we have a live case study of something that's happening uh, that, you know, that, that other people are saying is happening. And I remember, you know, when the call, phone conversation was winding to an end, he told me, yeah, um, I don't remember what he said exactly, but the gist of it, you know, it might sound weird the way I pronounce it, but, you know, he said something like this. He said, yeah, I could help you. Um, I like, I, you know, selling on the phone is something I do. I could get somebody to get a $25,000 credit line today. And, you know, even with your particular situation, uh, you know, with some of the trainings that I provide like it could help you you know because i was asking for like what four hundred dollars or something like that six hundred dollars like but but i was going to do the project then he would just pay later and he said you would get payments up front and i was like yeah this is amazing yeah yeah cool and then we just both went our separate ways and um Last time I checked, he actually did DM me. I still have to say something about that, but I've been in a little transitional period, which all you know about, you know, we're not really writing right now in the first place, but if you want to get some writing in the future, um, go to www.memoirlaunch.com slash launch list. Uh, you can join the list and uh, we'll contact you when the agency is all put together. Not the agency, the company. Um, but I remember hanging up the phone that day. I remember exactly what type of day it was. It was a cloudy day. It was actually a Tuesday, but no, it wasn't a Tuesday. It was like a Saturday, and I was set to call him again that Tuesday. And uh, that relationship eventually, well, not a relationship, that situation eventually fizzled out because um, of a lot of extenuating circumstances. But I remember hanging up the phone that day, 
And just like the cloudy, overcast sky, I was just sitting on the couch talking to my girlfriend and just thinking like, I was just as overcast, just as clouded. And something about the conversation just didn't sit right with me. And I had clung on to that for a long, long time after, which is really just thinking about it like, you know, because we had the conversation coming up the next Tuesday. And I'm like, why am I pitching this guy for $500? You know, um, you know, I was remembering, another, you know, another, one of the things that Grant Cardone would say, he said, man, my biggest error is not going big fast. And I don't know, all these ideas just started swirling around in my head. And I remember even just taking it to uh, one of my friends, man, Rashad. I went around his neighborhood and I was sitting at the table. And I don't know what provoked me to say it, but it was just sitting in my, it was something that was standing on my chest for a long time. And I just looked at him and I said, hey, Rashad, you know something? And he's like, yo, what? And I'm saying, and I, and I said, one of the things that has held me back the most is, or both of us rather, is the perceptions that we have that we assume other people also adopt. I said, what do you mean by that? And I was like, I don't know, man. I just feel like all my life, man, I've never seen four figures in my bank account. And for some reason, it... I just feel like I, where I think that's like a massive amount of money, something, some inkling of my imagination kind of tells me other people don't really think the same thing. And because I think that that limitation is holding me back from making the sales that would easily occur because other people don't believe that. That's one of the false beliefs that I had. You ever feel that way? Like you, like you think like 10 grand is a big deal when really to a lot of people was probably like pocket change like it i don't know it was just it was just a weird thing i remember that conversation fizzling out and you know back you know you know the story uh a lot of hopelessness settled in but it had split it lit a flame under me and i was like you know i'm not going to have the same regrets as all the people if i'm going to listen i want to take their advice and i went back to sending out the pitches all day and uh one day somebody had booked a call with me on calendly and, uh, you know, I remember picking up that phone call and going through the entire conversation at the end of the conversation. I said, you know what? This was the first time I ever attempted or thought to attempt to ask somebody for four figures for anything in my life. Like, I'd never seen four figures. It was like, uh, yeah, that that overall, that would be $1,000. And I waited. And it was a lot of silence on the other line. It was like, okay. And we kind of just went for that ordeal now it was broken up into payment plans and all sorts of things that made it super inconvenient really a big hassle and kept me uh strained and on edge but uh ultimately overall that sale ended up being a two thousand dollar sale um which even in, in looking back i realized one for for the product that was kind of like a low ball and two at that point in time, if I had structured the deal the correct way, I'm pretty sure I could have said any number that I wanted to, and it might have worked out. What had happened in that situation was the story of this guy named John, for me, had broken the four-minute mile, and, those, and so, therefore, my limitations were replaced with some other limitation, you know, way down the line that was yet to be experienced. And so that was kind of the tangent I went on went. I really wondered to myself, well, I really heard somebody ask in an interview, 
uh, what did Obama do for black people? And as they were answering the question, that answer kind of came to mind. Um, it's just about breaking that four minute mile to people in a representation of the fact that their limitations are actually false. And that shifts everything. You know, it was a it was an interview on Vlad TV with a, a guy named Aries Spears, I, I believe his name was, and both of them were talking and chatting and just saying like, which I don't know if I even had this mentality. I don't think I was old enough, but a lot of people really had the ideology. Like they were like just to hear people say, "I didn't think we were going to see a black president in our president in our lifetime." It's just such a bewildering thing because I'm in a state of mind, being someone that's young, where I think we're going to see multiple black presidents in my lifetime. You know what I mean? I think we're going to see multiple women presidents in our lifetime. It's not something that surprised to me, but it's because that four minute mile was broken and replaced with some other, you know, we're really just broken and shattered. And so that false belief that was there before no longer exists, just like with Russell, just like with Alex, Alex, um, Alfred Bannister, and just like with me. Um, so, this podcast ultimately is about taking the ideas in your head and transforming them into mass movements. And one of the things I think is important with mass movements, just as our scripture uh, suggests, I'm not going to call it that That's disrespectful, just as this book suggests, um, is the idea that if you are going to be the leader of a mass movement, it is important to identify what in your culture will be the milestones the four-minute miles that you want to break for people. I don't remember what he said necessarily in the book, but he said you break the four-minute miles and suddenly the 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 group congeals in a different way. And so you'll look at this and you'll realize, okay, well, that's a really unique ideology. But then when you break it down, it's really not. Every real mass movement in, this, in the world has a, a four-minute mile. They have Grammys, they have Oscars, Emmys, Tonys, YouTube plaques, two comma club awards, you know, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Every faction or movement, you know, has that four minute mile that you, that you can break and say, hey, look, everybody, I've reached the top of the mountain. And to discover what it is within our movement is an important thing. Um, you know, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Uh, which is something that's going to be coming to the podcast and to the community as a whole. I should probably um, start to make like a place where we can all chat and things like that. Uh, I think our four minute miles will be based around impact. Like, uh, you know, how many people have we, uh, you know, inducted into our mass movements, you know, maybe a plaque for a thousand, maybe a plaque for 10,000, well not a thousand, a plaque for 10,000, a plaque for a hundred thousand, a plaque for a million. You know, because I think, you know, the, the you know, for a podcast, it's about bringing your ideas into a mass movement. You know, the milestone should be on the basis of how many people that we get into our mass movements. And, you know, I'm going to skip the hundred for me personally, skip the 10,000 and a hundred thousand, because I believe by sometime next year, I want a million people or sometime this year, maybe that next month, who cares about limitations because they aren't real. Let's get a million people to this podcast. Let's get a million people in this movement. How we're quantified it exactly, I'm not exactly sure. Like a million followers, a million people. I think, and that's that's another thing. I want to have a like two branches, like maybe uh, a million followers to like, overall social presence, but it'll be another plaque, like live mass movements. How many people have you gathered in a live setting? Like Grant Cardone did, like what thirty five thousand people 
in the Marlins Stadium. 30,000 people over three days in the Marlins Stadium. Like like 30,000 people in a live like live event awards. How many people have you gathered in a live event? Because I think those are true show, more true showings of like fans. You know, what, what is a true fan and what is a follower of the movement? Um, I don't know, man. There's so many things that I want to say about this. Uh, and there are so many ways in which uh, this, this idea can be expressed. You know, so many mass movements for me personally, you know, have been broken. And I kind of want to call my shadow on this podcast. I'm saying, you know, because of some of the things I witnessed, because of some of the things I, I know are possible, I'm sure, you know, memoir launch across the million this year. With no, Don't get me wrong. There is no data to suggest that's going to happen. There's no inkling of any data to suggest anything like that is possible. But, I, you know, I'm calling my shot. I, you know, that's something I know is true, you know, uh, and but then we're going to cost across a billion in 2021. Um, you might be like, why would you say something like that? Why not? If I cross a billion in 2021, I probably wouldn't be the top 10 fastest companies to ever do so. Those four minute miles have already been broken. And so just to end this podcast off, I want to ask you, man, what is the four minute mile within your own opportunities? What are the four minute miles in your own movements that you are proceeding towards and breaking for the people who follow you in order to shift their ideas of reality forever? That's really all I have to say. I'm real proud of the way I structured this one. That was amazing. That was, you really did it. Man, I try. You know, I try for the people. Yeah. Anyways, here, here's the deal. So if you're, uh, you know, you're business person, your entrepreneur, whatever you want to call your designer, and you have a central idea that's burning in your heart, that's burning in your soul, I guess you want to say, and you want to get it out to the world and build a movement around it, build a tribe and a community around some of those ideas and impact people's lives, therefore, in a profitable way, I think the best way to do that is uh, something called a sales memoir, okay? And so what we do over at Memoir Launches, we do, we write and we, uh, we launched sales and marks with something called six months campaigns. Um, it's an extremely intricate process that I'm not going to explain everything about, but I do want to say this here because I haven't said this in a podcast before. If you look at the rest of the way society write books, it's dumb it's stupid and no one should ever write books that way. People write books with information as the forefront. Information should never be the forefront of a book because information on its own is useless. If you look at all the greatest books of all time, they're written this particular way. It's, uh, it's um, I would say, a bit of a secret. And uh, <laughs> we, we structure books in a way where they actually take your core identity and tell the stories, structure the stories around it in a way that actually changes the identity of your audience and congeals them to this movement, congeals them to this tribe, congeals them to this community. Um, you can find uh, Russell Brunson and Stephen Larson. They make videos on this topic a lot about the way they write books personally. Um, the way we write books is akin kind of to the way that comedians write jokes. Um, it's a lot to it. But I believe that's the best way to really build in a profitable way community and tribe around what it is that you believe is your central idea and therefore impact the world. Look, man, you might think, oh, Tough times are coming, whatever it is, man. But here's the thing. I know, you know, if I were in your position or for anybody worldwide, you know, one of the things that would be on my mind or that's on my mind lifelong 
is to have something that is lifelong, regardless of how long my life is. My life is going to be very long. I tell you that much. I might never die. I probably, you know, they probably get some, uh, you know, there's a lot of people some stuff in here. They're going to get some technology or I might invent some technology. We're going to live to a hundred million, which I would never want to do something like that. But here's the thing. What are the things that are going to last beyond us? What are the marks that we're going to make on this world? You can go and make your business. It's going to collapse eventually. Give it a million years. I promise you it will. You can make your ideology. You can preach about it. You can break people's four minute miles. But what's going to break the four minute mile for the generations that come after you? What's going to continue to create that movement after you are gone? I don't know if Napoleon Hill is alive or not. But something in me tells me tells me he's not. But it's a lot of people who are born in 2020 who are thinking and growing rich in 2040. It's a lot of people who, you know, grew up poor in 2020. You know, parents working, well, specifically father working a minimum wage job. And somehow they still both rich dad and poor dad. That's all I'm saying. Robert, you know, uh, Robert Kiyosaki still around. We know that. But, you know, it's a lot of people, you know, Tony Robbins is still alive. But it's a lot of people that's only four feet tall. But you know what? In 2100, they're going to be an awakening of the giant. That's all I'm saying. And that's something that's forever. That's an asset that's going to live forever. That's an asset that's going to be profitable forever. That's going to be an asset that builds tribe and community around the ideas, the pillars that are going to hold up this world as long as it exists. And so here's what I want to say about that. If you want a sales memoir written, we're, you know, we're reorganizing a bunch of stuff right now. But uh, we're going for a little launch soon. And, uh, you know, you can be part of that. You can have your sales memoir written, but... If you want to be part of the first wave, you have to act now. It's first come, first serve. And uh, we can only handle but so much mass. You want to act now to be part of the first wave of people who get their sales memoir written out, you know, out of the door. Or it's, it might be a little bit of a waiting process. And so if you want to join the list, the waiting list, and reserve your spot right now and be part of the first wave, be part of the first people to get their message and really shift some of the things that are happening with the new way of writing our ideas out in building tribal community around our ideas that's not technological and webinar and all this and that and third. I want you to go to www.memoirlaunch.com slash launch list. Here's the thing. You want to get to the website and there's going to be a quiz for you. Um, that quiz is just to determine whether we are good, we, we make a good partnership or not. Um, but after you get to the quiz, you'll be able to enter your email address and get on that way and listen and reserve your seat. Um, the quiz is a real quiz. I, I wouldn't recommend just pressing any button on it because, uh, quite frankly, it's my belief that not everybody has something to say. And so that quiz is just a gauge of what we're working with here. What can we do for you? What can we do for the world right now? What type of ideologies are we pushing out and how are we helping people? And that's what it's all about. So if you want to join the waiting list, if you want to reserve your seat, uh, we'll also be sending some more information over when you reserve your seat about our process and about the ways that you can start interacting with the process yourself. If you have the time and the patience to learn, because it is a very complex thing to learn on your own, but we're going to send you over some information. Uh, so if you want to reserve your seat, www.memoirlaunch.com 
slash launch list. And I look forward to working with you and speaking with you personally, being all nosy and learning about your life and uh, really putting the pen to paper, uh, Mr. Draper. www.memoirlaunch.com slash launch list. And uh, that's pretty much all I got to say in this podcast is Dallas from the Grand Design Podcast, not the Grand Design Podcast, it's Grand Design Podcast, all about taking your ideas in your head into transforming them into or manifesting them in the world in the form of mass movements. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you listening. I really hope wherever you are in the world, you're having a good time, you're having a good day, you're enjoying life, um, you're flourishing, you know, uh, and if that's not you, I hope you get there, I hope you find your way. Uh, you get through the darkness, you know, to the light at the end of the tunnel uh, in a good way, not in a bad way. And reach out to people, communicate with people, talk to people. If you ain't got nobody to talk to, talk to me. All right. But I hope that you are uh, experiencing the beauty of life as it is because it is insane. Thank you for listening. Grand Design.